folks, you can have a seat. Let me just mention a couple of things uh, that you need to be aware of that are coming up just shortly if you're a part of our church. Uh, every year we volunteer at the Oxford Fair with the uh, ticket taking and parking and those things. That's one of the ways that we get involved in our community and try to help out and serve uh, those that live here and work here with us. And uh, we need lots of volunteers for that. And so the sign-up lists are right back there. There's a little table over by the archway. Uh, and if you'd like to be a part of that, we would love to have you sign up and help us out at the Oxford Fair in a couple of weeks. I uh, also want to mention that tonight at 6 o'clock, we're having a prayer time once a month on Sunday evenings. We gather for prayer at the office building, and we'd love to have you join us for that. And also, I hope, can you smell that? I can. They already started the grill. That's not good. I got a lot of things to say before that happens, but I'm already distracted by the grill smell. We hope that you stay afterwards with us and enjoy this barbecue and time of fellowship. After we get done the baptism, the kids will be welcome to get in the pool and swim uh, and just hang out and enjoy our time here at the Young's Farm. So we hope that you join us for that. Also, we want to thank you for your faithful giving over the last uh, several months, couple of years, as we walk through all of this stuff together. Uh, the offering box is back there, and you can give online uh, as usual. Let's take a moment and pray and thank the Lord for how he has provided for us. Father, thank you so much for your care for us and providing all that we have needed as a church. Thank you for those that have given faithfully and continue to do so. We ask that you would be honored by that. Help us to use what you have entrusted to us wisely as we continue to reach into this community to care for people and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be honored by that and by our time in your word, Father. Help us to hear your voice together this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So my question as we begin uh, this morning, just sharing a little bit from the word with you is, why are we here? Not existentially, not philosophically, like why are we here on this earth, but literally, practically, why are we here? Why do we do this every Sunday? Why do we do the things that we do? Now, I'm sure that the last little while, things have been so different. We're not meeting at the high school anymore. It's been a year and a half since we've done that. We've been out at the fairground. We've been outside in the church parking lot. We've been all over the place. And I'm sure the people that drive by and see us out there are wondering the same thing. I mean, after a while, they figured out that we were having church. But I wonder if people wonder why we are doing that. Why would we have church I know that some of you are guests here today and, and uh, you're here to see a family member or a friend be baptized and you may or may not even understand what that's all about. I hope that you will a little bit more over the next few minutes. But for those of us that are Christ followers, we are here, we do this because God has called us to be disciples. God has saved us by his grace and he has given us a mission and we've said many times, for those of you that have been a part of Moss Brook for a while, you know that we've said many times that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's just the beginning. That's not the end. That's not the only goal. 
That's the beginning of what God has called us to do. And those that are going to be baptized today are doing so to identify themselves as disciples. Those of us who have been baptized already, that's why we did it, to identify as Christ's disciples. I was thinking about when I got baptized, uh, this morning I was thinking about it, it was <coughs> 40 years ago. <laughs> 40 years ago in a little homemade farm pond in Exeter, Maine, I was baptized. I identified myself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is his calling on our lives to be true disciples. And it's not always easy. For those of you that have walked with the Lord for some time, you know that. You could be sitting there saying, I know that I'm a disciple, but, but sometimes it's not easy to do that. And so to help us with that, God has given us his word. And once again, as a nod to those of you who are our guests here today, you may not know this about Mossbrook Church, but when we gather as a church, we always focus our time and attention on God's Word. This is what God uses to speak into our lives, to shape us and to mold us into the people that He cares for us to be, that He wants us to be. And so this morning we're looking in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm just going to read seven verses for you. And we're going to see that Paul gives us what I call our marching orders. He calls us to be disciples and tells us this is how we do it. And so let's see those marching orders this morning. The first one is in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. Paul says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So some of you know this, some of you may not. First, Second Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing it to a young man named Timothy. Paul led Timothy to Christ. Timothy was relatively young, but God had called him to be a pastor. And he was a pastor in this city called Ephesus. It was a big city. There was a lot of ungodliness. It was a very difficult place to be a disciple. And so as Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him... In his walk as a disciple, the first thing he says is, Timothy, be strengthened with the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you were going to read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you would find that Paul told Timothy to either be strong or to endure 25 times. 25 times in 10 chapters. Paul said, Timothy, be strong, endure, keep going. But what I want you to notice here is that he says, I want you to be strengthened. I know that those of us who love grammar are few and far between. I see Michelle's here. Michelle loves grammar. Lisa, I saw Lisa. The three of us probably out of all of this group are the only ones that love it. It's important. What does Paul say? Be strengthened. He doesn't say, Timothy, go out. And make yourself stronger. He says, be strengthened. That is the passive tense. What does that mean? That means someone else is doing the strengthening. For us, as Christ followers, for us, if we're going to be disciples, we need God to strengthen us. How many of you have at some point said when you're looking at what you're facing in your life how many of you at some point have said I'm not strong enough to handle this anybody else seven of us okay I can't handle I have 
I'm not going to stand up here as a pastor and say, oh, you know, I'm just, I have it all under control. I don't ever have any issues. That's not true. Many times I've said, I, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. And when you say that, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you come to the point where you say, I'm not strong enough to handle this, you are exactly where God wants you to be. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to be humbly dependent upon God. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the first marching order is be strengthened. The second one is make disciples. Now, if you have read this verse before, or as I read it for you, you may have noticed that there are four generations of disciples here. Paul says, I'm teaching you, Timothy. Paul is generation one. I'm teaching you, that's the second generation. Timothy, what I teach you, you teach to other people, that's the third generation, so that they can teach it to still others. You need to understand that if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, that this grace that you have experienced is meant to be shared. I want you to know something, folks. We are commanded to proselytize. Now, depending on what you do for work or where you go to school, you may have heard people say, you cannot proselytize in this place, at school or at work. I want to tell you something. We are commanded to proselytize. I'm not advising you to go get fired tomorrow, but I am saying that the grace that you have experienced is meant to be shared with other people, the people that you are living life with. That's one of the reasons why when we have a baptism, we tell people, invite people to come with you. Your friends, your family members, the people that are part of your life, because we want to share what Christ has done for us. This is not an option. When Christ got ready to leave this earth, he told his disciples what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. It's not an option. Paul says, Timothy, I've entrusted this with you, this precious thing, this gift of salvation. I've entrusted it to you. The Greek word that's translated in trust has a little prefix in front of it that's very important in the Greek language. It's P-A-R-A, para. And it means to come alongside someone, to walk closely with them. It implies a relationship. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning, I want to ask you, who do you have a relationship with right now where you are passing on your knowledge of Christ? Every single one of us should have at least one person in our lives that we are passing our knowledge of Christ on to. Verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The third marching order, suffer together. Suffer together. I'm going to share this Greek word with you because I think it's kind of cool. 
and I want you to remember it always. It's Sigaco Capatheo. Okay? You got it? Sigaco Capatheo. All right? Remember that. Always. Remember this day in history that I have told you this word. It means suffer together. It means walk through suffering arm in arm. Again, it implies relationship. It's only used here. Paul only uses it here with Timothy. Timothy, it is going to be difficult for you to be a true disciple in the city of Ephesus. And so I want you to walk through what I'm putting in front of you together, arm in arm, with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, with your fellow disciples. It's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12 when he said it this way. He said, we need to weep with those who weep. There never should ever be a disciple of Jesus Christ who suffers alone, who weeps alone, who struggles alone. That's not what we're called to. Now I know that many people say this and, and maybe you're here this morning and you've said it before and that's how you feel about it. Well, my faith is a personal thing. It's nobody's business. Well, that's not the biblical walk of discipleship. We walk together. That's what we do. And that's why we do this. Do you know there have been weeks, maybe for you too, but I know there have been for me, there have been weeks over the past year and a half where I have just thought, you know what? I am done with all of this. <laughs> and by this, I mean this general everything that's been happening in this world. I'm done with it. I'm getting that cabin in the woods and I'm putting a padlock on the front door and I don't ever want to see another person the rest of my life. Just being honest. But then you know what has happened? Sunday comes. And I get to see you guys. And I'm not just saying that to try and make some kind of a point here today. I'm giving you my honest, heartfelt opinion of why I keep getting out of bed in the morning to do this. I'm committed to Christ. God's called me to do this, so I'm going to keep doing it. But you guys are a part of that. You're a part of that. And I need this. We've had all kinds of people ask us, Tim and I and our elders, well, what are we going to do if they start shutting things down? Listen, I don't care what happens out there. This is not stopping. Because we need this. If we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we are commanded to this. Together is the only way. Now, some will walk away. Many have. Sometimes when Tim and I are really feeling morose, Tim doesn't feel morose very much. He's, he's kind of an upbeat guy, but once in a while, once in a while I get to peek through the curtain. Once in a while when we're really morose, we say, do you know how many people would be coming to church on Sunday morning if everybody that came stayed 
Many have walked away. Many that we have baptized in this pool have walked away. But we're not walking away. We're going to do this together. By the way, it's not even tough yet. It's just inconvenient. Maybe it's inconvenient to meet outside in the parking lot and get rained on a little bit or to drive in in our cars or, you know, to have to do the things that we've been doing here to keep having church. This is tough. This is inconvenient. And we're called to suffer together. Man, this isn't fair. Last week, Tim had a 15-minute message, and he got to stretch it to a half an hour. And I had a half hour, and I'm supposed to shrink it. Number four, verse four. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The fourth marching order in verse four is stay focused. And Paul compares the true disciple to a soldier. And that may sound a little dramatic, and, and Tim referred to this from 1 Timothy last week. But this is a war. It is truly a war. And if you are here, you remember that Tim said, this is a fight, so fight. This is what God has called us to do. And notice how distracted we are by everything, by our lives, by our homes, by our jobs, by our cars, by vacations, by the internet, by everything and anything. It doesn't take much to draw our attention away from what's happening right in front of us. This is a war and we cannot afford to be distracted by all of the peripheral garbage that's going on around us. Verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Marching order number five is be disciplined. No athlete is successful unless he's disciplined, especially with his diet and his training. I could have been an elite athlete, but I didn't want to be on a diet for the rest of my life, so I chose not to. No athlete is successful without that, without that discipline. And then he's got to know and follow the rules. You can have the diet, you can have the training, but then if you're going to participate, you have to participate according to the rules. We just had the Olympics. I don't know if anybody was paying attention to it. I wasn't, but there was the Olympics going on somewhere in the world. Once in a while, I'd see a headline that somebody competed and won, and then they were disqualified. Why? They broke the rules. Paul says, not only do we have to have the intensity and the focus of a soldier, we have to have a discipline of, the, of an athlete. And so my question would be to you who are disciples, how's your diet? How's your diet, disciple? What do you take in to nourish yourself? If you spend three hours a day watching TV and surfing social media and five minutes reading your Bible, I want to tell you that you have an unbalanced diet. But that's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it's hard to pound out five minutes reading Scripture, but it is nothing to sit in front of the TV all night or to pick up your phone 18 times a day What kind of training are you doing? 
because this life has to be lived God's way, not ours. Number six, verse six says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Number six, work hard. So Paul compares the disciple to the soldier, to the athlete, and now to the farmer. I will be the first to admit that I do not know much about farming. I really don't want to know anything about farming. My grandfather was a farmer. My other grandfather was a very avid gardener. I've seen a lot of farmers, and here's what I know. Farming is extremely hard work. It takes absolutely every second of your time, all of your energy, and patience like you would not believe. And as far as I know, there's not a whole lot of recognition or fame. I mean, think about how many famous farmers do you know? <laughs> Probably not many. Paul says, you got to work hard like the farmer. You got to be able to spend all of your time, your energy, your patience without much recognition. However, he does say this, there is the blessing of seeing the harvest. The hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. I can remember going to my grandparents' house when I was a kid to visit my grandfather who was a farmer, and he worked from before dawn till after dusk pretty much every day. It was not an easy life. He raised 10 children on a little farm in New Brunswick. But you know what I remember from going to my grandparents' house? When we sat down for supper, you know what we were eating? We were eating new potatoes, fresh peas, grass-fed beef. We had fresh eggs for breakfast, homemade bread. There is a reward. And I have to tell you that being a disciple is not easy, but there is the blessing of seeing the harvest. I want to tell you that days like this, when Tim and I get into the pool and baptize 20 people, that makes it worth it because we see that God is at work. Verse 7, Paul says, Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The seventh marching order is keep learning. Disciples keep learning. That's actually what the word disciple means, is learner. Think it over, he says. Literally, apply mental effort to reach a conclusion. That's what the phrase think over means. You know, one of the things that's really frustrating to me about Everything that we're seeing go on in our world today is a mental laziness. A mental laziness. There's no willingness to think about anything logically, to reason anything out, think why are we doing the things that we're doing, what makes sense for us, for our children, for our country, for our future. And the same is true for us as Christ followers. If we're going to be effective Christ followers, we need to learn, we need to grow. We need to make the effort. We need to apply the mental effort needed to reach the proper conclusions of how to live our lives from God's word. Paul says the Lord will bless that effort. He will help you grow. He will give you the capacity to understand the truth. 
So, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's calling you to be a disciple. He's calling you to be a learner. He's calling you to follow him. It will not be easy, but he will give you the strength. And he gives his grace for a living to those he saves. An important step after trusting Christ as your Savior is identifying yourself as a disciple, and that's what baptism is. For those of you who don't understand what it is that we're doing here or what baptism is as a whole, we believe that God's Word teaches that baptism is a pledge of allegiance to Jesus Christ. All the people that are being baptized today have trusted Christ as their Savior. And I want you to know this because not every church teaches this the same way, but we believe very strongly that God's Word says that baptism does not save us, but it marks us as His. It's a public declaration of a private decision to follow Jesus Christ. And to those who are being baptized today, as you take this step in front of your family, your friends, and our church, understand the commitment that you have made to our Savior. And remember his words to us. Be strengthened by his grace. Make disciples. Be willing to suffer together. Stay focused. Be disciplined. Work hard. And keep learning. Those are our orders as his disciples. Well, folks, we are at that time of the service where we are going to actually do that. We're going to celebrate this together. So I'm going to ask Tim if he would... Get ready to get us started here. Guys, if those of you guys that are on the steps there, could you just move back and move all that footwear because we're going to have a lot of people coming through. And we will begin our baptism together. This is always uh, an exciting time. An exciting time for me uh, when we get to uh, walk with people through their uh, choice to say yes um, they've already said yes to God, but their choice to say yes to publicly so that everyone around them knows that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're going to start uh, today with uh, JT and Kelsey. Uh, JT, Glenn's going to help. But let me just say this. I, I want to give you an example right at this moment of what um, Pastor Mike was just talking about. His second uh, point that he was making was uh, from 2 Timothy 2.2 where Paul looked at Timothy and he said, hey, what I have taught you you're, and you've learned, you teach someone else so that they could learn it so that they could teach somebody else. Well, JT and Kelsey are the fourth generations, exactly that verse, right? Graham, who's sitting right here, go ahead, Alma's right here. And Alma had to put up with Glenn. God gave, Alma is a saint and God knew that. And, and so he gave her Glenn and she and God will have a talk later. But so, and Glenn came to faith, right? And Amanda, who's right here, came to faith, who's JT and Kelsey's mom. And so you have four generations, right? Which that's discipleship, exactly what Mike was talking about. And that's how God asks us to do that, folks, as Christ followers, right? is we're responsible to give our faith away to those who are close to us, to our families. 
And we talk a lot in our country about legacy, leaving legacy. And often when we talk about leaving a legacy, we talk about success. We talk about the stuff that we're doing. We talk about uh, what we can give away to our families. And let me just say this to you. None of that matters. A legacy is giving away our faith. And if you want to give away something that matters, give, a, give away something that lasts for eternity. And that's leaving a legacy. And what, we're, what we see in these first folks that are being baptized is a legacy. It's a legacy from Graham. Graham prayed that her family would come to know Christ and that their extended family would come to know Christ and that their extended family would come to know Christ. And, and God is honoring that prayer in bringing those folks to Christ. And folks, that's the desire of our heart, right? is that our family would come to know what a relationship with Jesus is all about and what it means to be changed for eternity and to leave a legacy to pass that on.